Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. If we were honest with ourselves today, we need to say that life can be hard, okay? Life brings on us headaches, life brings um, stress, life brings um, chaos almost out of nowhere way too often. And it puts us in a place where we have to kind of respond to these difficult moments. And you are human. And I am human. And when these moments are brought onto us in life, it's natural for our first reaction to be worry, to be fear, to be anger, to be confusion, just an overwhelming, uh, I feel the weight of the world right now. I don't think it's wrong of us to respond with those emotions. I don't think it's a sin to, to, to respond in our natural way. What it shows us, what it, it reveals to us is our limitations as humans. But what if I could say this morning, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the worry, in the midst of when fear and, 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 and things just take over, that this may be your first reaction, but it doesn't have to be our lasting reaction. What if this morning we can have a conversation that says we don't have to live that way? We don't have to have a feeling every day that our life is completely out of control. What if there's a better way to live, a more hopeful way to live? Well, today in our text, Paul's going to speak to this, that there is a better way. And what I'm hoping for you, what I'm hoping for me as I continue to process like I have all week, is that this is very practical for us. Very useful for us, not just a conversation like we have on Sunday mornings, but real life practicality. Because Paul is going to be talking to real people with real situations. But there's a lot to talk about today. There's, there's a chunk of text that I think many of you have heard before, but my prayer has been can we hear it new again? But if you're with us for the first time today, I want to say I'm glad you're with us. I'm glad you're a guest. We want to be in your life. You want, we want you to be in our lives. And I'll just tell you that all summer we've been walking through this letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to a city in Philippi. He wrote it from prison. And we are in week seven of week eight. We finish it next week. But if you've missed any of them, I'd love for you to go back online because I think these are very practical, very important for our lives, for the church. And I would love for you to hear Paul speak to the church. But like I said, we've got a, a bunch to go through, so we're going to begin the journey. So if you've got your Bibles, you've got your phones, all the things, um, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin that last chapter of his letter. We're going to go verse 1 through 9. All right, 1 through 9 today, and then we'll complete the rest next week. All right, you ready? Here we go. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... 
You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. It's just another time that he is showing how, how he cherishes this church so deeply. Verse 2, he said, I plead with um, Yodia and plead with Sitachi? Can we go with that? S -s whatever, you know, okay. Um, to be the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So today, I'm going to call today like a bonus day, a plus one day, because we, I think we've got two messages in one right here. And I'm just going to take three minutes. Now, I know you don't trust that because I'm a pastor, okay? I'm going to take three minutes for the first message that we see um, um, at the beginning of chapter four. Paul does something that we rarely see him do. He gives two names. And he gives these two names not in an affirming way. He does that other times. He gives names in an affirming way. No, he gives two names for something that needs to be remedied in this church. If you're around week one, you know that I said that Paul got a vision that he was supposed to go to this church in Philippi, totally changed directions, and when he went there, he went down to the river. Now, he went down to the river because there was no synagogue in Philippi at this time. There was not enough of a Jewish population to warrant a synagogue there. And at the river, he met a woman named Lydia. And he tells Lydia, this businesswoman that was in Philippi, he tells her the message of Jesus, and she believes this message. And the beginning of the church, the very first Eastern European church, has started. And since the beginning, what we see in Philippi is women played such a prominent role in making this church happen in its growth. And so Paul names a couple of these, two of these women. And it says he does it because it doesn't seem like they're getting along. They don't view things quite the same way, it seems. And so he asks the church, for the sake of unity, to help them get on the same page. He affirms them by saying, hey, you've been with me this whole time, advancing the gospel. You have been there. But he doesn't want the disagreement to hurt that mission. So, here's the point of the first mini message for today. Sometimes even faithful followers of Jesus can have conflict. 
okay? Even faithful followers of Jesus can have conflict. We are human. Faithful followers of Jesus can have different views on things. And so Paul speaks to that church, and I think he speaks to One Hope Church about the importance of conflict resolution in a way that's honoring, pleasing to God. But what's the for the sake of? For the sake of the gospels, not just so we get along. It's because the gospel is at play in the church, and so we have two choices to make. We can, in conflict, let bitterness, competitiveness, anger, whatever, come between us, cause division, or we can say we're going to be mature followers of Jesus, and we're going to find a way to be together That because the calling on our church, on the church, is one of hope and healing and restoration and saving this world. So I think Paul is making a plea to them in the same plea that I want to make. Can we work together? Can we forgive in abundance? Can we give the benefit of the doubt? Can we talk to each other versus talking about each other? That we don't always have to agree with each other, but we do, and this is not the first time Paul said this, it's not the first time I've said this, but we do have to unify in Jesus. Because no one at this church is perfect, so the desire is that we treat each other the way we want to be treated because there is a gospel and a world that needs to hear Jesus and the good news. This is at stake. So I think... Paul, in this first part, is just saying, hey, these two ladies, they've been with me. But there's something going on here when you help them come to the same mind because the church has a job to do. And that is the same calling on our church. Okay, message number two, okay? Message number two. Philippians 4, uh, 6 through 9. That portion of the letter is a really well-known portion of our letter. If you've been brought up in the church, you've heard the passages about anxiety and peace. And so we're going to lean into that today, but I think it's important to stop before we get there to see what Paul says in verse, chap- uh, verse number 4. Paul's words are, rejoice in the Lord. And he says it twice. Again, I'm going to tell you, this is important. Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in your life always as a follower of Jesus. But why and how is that possible? In a world with chaos, in a world with a feeling of overwhelming uh, with situations that feel out of our control. How do we have joy always? Why do we need to? And he says it in a very simple, like just a couple word sentence, because the Lord is near. Be joyful because the presence of God is close to you. And this is a really simple point in verse 4. But maybe God wants to say something simple but very clear to you. And that is the presence of God is the catalyst for joy. The presence of God is the catalyst for joy. 
When joy begins to evaporate, we have to ask ourselves, how active is the presence of God in my life? Because Paul says, um, rejoice in the Lord always. Have this joy in him because he is near. And I want you to remember that as we move on to more of the main event of this text. Remember that. Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. When you are worried, when you are afraid, when you have anxiety, what is the worst thing someone can say to you? Stop worrying. Don't be afraid. People are super annoying when they do that, aren't they? They know you're going through something. Like, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. And you're like, yeah, it's going to be okay because you're not in the middle of it. It's the worst when they say this. And so what we have here is Paul. He is saying potentially one of the most annoying things someone can say. Hey, don't be anxious about anything. Except, in what context does Paul say don't be anxious about anything? Where is he saying it from? He's sitting in a prison cell. And he's not sitting in a prison cell like our prison cells. Our prison cells are five-star hotels compared to their prison cells, right? Like, he doesn't know if this is going to be his last day. He doesn't know if he's going to be fed that day. It is grimy, it is dirty, not to be gross, but they don't even have bathrooms in these prisons. Like, these are not our prisons. He is sitting in this prison cell saying, don't be anxious about anything. And I'm wondering if anybody has the credibility to say something that is typically annoying. Picture yourself on the receiving end of this letter and it's being read to you. Philip has got their problems. We've talked about this whole time. They're going through persecution. They're going through being pushed out to the edges of culture. Like this is a Roman town that is all about Roman things. They're not about the Christians. And he's saying to them in the midst of their mess, don't be anxious about anything. But I'm wondering if anybody could say it, does Paul have the credibility? Because anxiety is a real thing. Anxiety is a big deal in 2023. I begin to look up the, 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 the phase of life, the phase of humanity right now in regards to anxiety. It is believed that 18% of all adults in the United States have been diagnosed with some level of anxiety disorder. A World Health Group did a study on 14 countries, and the United States won. Woo! of having the highest levels of anxiousness in a study that also had Nigeria, Lebanon, Ukraine. I don't know if you know things that go on in these countries, but there's some pretty harsh things. And America wins with anxious anxiety levels. It is said, believed, that high school students today live in the same level of anxiety as psychiatric patients lived in the 1950s. Gallup did a survey of what are people most anxious about in life right now. Number one, personal income, money. Number two, social security system, 
money later. Number three, possible terrorist attacks. Number four, number four, lack of access to health care. Number five, race relations. People have anxiety. I don't know what you're anxious about, but you probably have your things you're carrying into this room today. I believe that because sometimes I actually wonder if we be, have become addicted to anxiety. I wonder that if the moments we don't feel the weight of anxiety, it almost feels weird because we get used to functioning in an unhealthy, toxic levels of anxiety. And sometimes I wonder that we just really believe, have given into the fact that there's no other option than just to carry this weight for life so we just deal with it. We just try to manage it. We don't try to be healed from it. We don't try to get on the other side of it. We just try to make it through the day. I don't know what you're carrying, but I'm sure you're carrying something. And it's not just what are you carrying. The question today is how are you carrying it? If my assumption is predominantly true that we all carry levels of anxiety, it's not that we carry it, it's how are we carrying it? Because Paul makes a strong statement when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but he's not the only one. Jesus speaks to this. In the Gospel of Luke, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They not sow or weep, and they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Maybe 25 deserves a second read. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Now, it's one thing for Paul to say this. It's one thing for Jesus to say this. But how in the world are we supposed to live up to this um, instruction, challenge by Paul and by Jesus? Because I think we would all say, that would be a great life, Scott. I would love to wake up in the morning and not have that weight in my life. I would love to wake up in the morning and not have the anxiety, the worry, the fears of potentially the things to come. I would love to have those things. But how do I live that out in reality? There's a, a pastor in New Mexico that I listen, listen to quite often just to, for my own kind of feeding and whatnot. His name is Skip Heitz, Heitzig. And he says this about anxiety. If you don't have an anchor of faith, you will drift in a sea of anxiety continuously. 
If you don't have an anchor in something, a way to carry this anxiety, you are going to spend your life almost drifting in a sea, wondering how I'm ever going to get out of this. But how is faith shown? How is that lived out? Well, this is where we keep reading. Paul doesn't leave us stranded out to sea. He says, instead of being anxious, in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Make something very clear. You and I have more choices in life than we want to admit. We often think, life, think that life happens to us and it just is life. We surrender, we surrender um, our lives over just a circumstance to just the situation we're sitting in. We surrender our life like we don't have avenues to walk down to make things different. And Paul says here, don't be anxious about anything. You have a choice. You can instead walk this way. And he says you can do three things. You can pray, you can have petitions, and you can have thanksgiving. Let's talk about that for a second. Because when I say prayer, many of you have a vision in your mind. It's like, okay, I got to stop. I, gotta, I pray, I bow my head. I say, God, okay, this is what's going on. I need you, and so forth. And okay, I've said my prayer. Then oftentimes people go back to regular life. But the word that Paul uses for prayer here is P-R-O. S-E-U-C-H-E, okay? And the emphasis for this word is maybe a little different than what you'd expect. This emphasis for this word is one of an act of worship. The word prayer that we see in front of us when Paul's delivering is more of an offering of worship or a place or posture of worship. When I read this, I believe that Paul's trying to instruct his people, don't let anxiety rule the moment. You need to stop. You need to stop. You've got to have like a moment where it's just, I'm willing to stop my mind, my body from what I'm doing. Have almost a period in this moment. I will stop. And put yourself in a mindset and a posturing of worship. Because when we worship, some things really happen in our life. Worship always puts God in the seat of honor and authority in our life. When we worship correctly, when we worship the way we're called to worship, it puts God in the seat of honor, puts him in authority. When we worship, it puts him in the seat of being king and the Lord of our life. When we worship, it allows us to see and be reminded of his power and his love for you. Why worship is really important because I'll tell you it's really hard to worship God and worry at the same time. Maybe as an exercise, this week you can try that. Try worshiping God and worrying about what you're worrying about at the same time. 
And maybe we'll get to see a picture of why worshiping, putting ourselves in a mindset and a posture of worship is so important. Because when we put ourselves in that seat, we can do the next thing that Paul talks about, that word, petition. Have you ever signed a petition before? Ever signed a petition before? A petition is made when you want someone in authority to hear what you think is best. To hear, to read what you think the need is. You feel like it should be heard and read by the right people. A petition is made because you don't have the authority to make the decision. You don't have the authority to make the action happen, but you know who does. Think about this. You sign a petition because you don't have the power, you don't have the authority, but you do recognize who does, and so you sign your name and say, I want you to hear, I want you to act on this. When we come to God, we're coming acknowledging that something is bigger than us. We recognize that the messes of life are bigger and more complicated than our humanness can handle. So when we're praying, what we're saying is, God, this is bigger than me, but not bigger than you. I know you've prayed before, but have you approached it in a way thinking about it from a petition standpoint that God makes it clear Jesus makes it clear all through the Bible that he wants us to bring whatever burdens we have and lay those requests at his feet to, to, to bring whatever we have to lay at his feet and say you do what you think is best he wants us to be like a child that has no shame, has no um, apprehension, but just come to God and say, I need you to do what only you can do. And I believe when we approach God this way, I think it opens doors, it releases for God to operate in our life in a supernatural way. And I think it's a gift that God gives us that we don't exercise enough. And so Paul says, hey, Put yourself in a place of worship, prayer, because your mind and your heart can then align to God, and then you can bring your petitions to Him because you realize that it's bigger than you, and so you can't, you don't have the authority, you don't have the power, you don't have the way about for you to walk through this, but you know who does, so God, I bring it to you. But also in the midst of that, He says something really important don't forget Thanksgiving. Don't forget gratitude. Sometimes in a moment, we forget what God has already done in the past in our lives, other people's lives, through stories in history, what God has done. When we give thanks, we get to live in this moment of gratitude of God, I'm remembering worked in my life in the past I remember when I was carrying this and I don't carry the weight of it today but I did carry the weight of it then, then and you showed up in my life and so what it does is it reminds us it inspires us 
Because today, on some level, everybody's different, you have some belief in God. But sometimes we have a belief in God intellectually, but our heart gets disconnected from the reality of God. Sometimes we bring our brain into this room. We bring our brain into life situations. We can say the right things even to other people. But when it comes to our own selves, we forget who God is on a spiritual and emotional place. When we think, I mean, when we speak thanksgiving of what he's already done, I think it shapes our beliefs. I think it shapes our worship. I think it shapes our mind. I think it shapes our heart. And it releases a hopefulness that often has been left dormant. I think it opens up possibilities for us to believe what God can actually do. And Paul says, don't just do this. Let me tell you the result of this. If you're struggling in life and you can make the choice, I'm not going to live and stay and take residence in this anxiety, I will walk the way that Paul says to write. He makes it really clear in the peace of God. Famous verse. One that you could say, but one have you ever heard? I mean, have you ever felt? Which transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. In life, we want the quickest way to get the results that we want. We want to cut corners in life and find the simplest ways, but still receive the same results. But I want to tell you, this is not how it works when it comes to the peace of God. If we want the peace of God, we have to go to and through God to get it. And just being honest, I would like you to be honest with yourself. You don't have peace because truly you don't go to the peace giver. You don't have peace because you don't have, you don't go consistently to the one who can give it to you. And scripture makes it clear. God promises when you go to him, when you once again stop, this is important, just, just the practice of stopping for a moment. Mind and physically stopping and connect with our king, we will receive a peace that no one around you will understand when they look at you. You'll receive something that is beyond or transcends the natural, and it becomes a supernatural act in your life. This God will give you a peace that really guards our minds and our hearts, which often deceive us so much. He'll guide those, guard those things from our mind, going to those places that bring anxiety to our hearts when we lean into Him. But the question that I ask myself as I'm reading this, okay, I get this action, but what can I do to keep this a regular part of my life? How can I grow into this being just who I am in life? And I think Paul answers where the place of peace can always be in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Because what have you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. If you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. But I want you to see something, just something real quick that um, I hadn't really thought about this until this week. Maybe you're smarter than me, you've already been there, but like this something came out this week. That in the past, what I've done um, is I've read that sentence wrong, the last one. The last sentence, oftentimes I've read it, um, if I do these things, the peace of God will be with me. I did this because in verse 7, it does say the peace of God. But that's not what it says in the last verse. It says, when you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. In the beginning of this letter, I said we'd circle back. Beginning of this portion of the letter, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always, because the Lord is near. And I said, the joy comes from the presence of God. And then we get the last part of this little section. If you do this thing, these things, the God of peace will be with you. And all I can do is connect these dots that the presence of God brings with him joy and peace. That his presence is the catalyst to the things that we look for. We often want the offshoots of God. But when we desire to be in a place of worship and connecting in prayer, all those things with God, the things that comes with his presence is peace and joy. And I think we all want a lot of things in life, but I would like to guess at the end of the day, if you could just feel joy and if you could just feel peace, you would be good with life. But the question is, but where are you looking for this? Because Paul sits in prison Paul sits in dirt and filth, potential hopelessness, weir, uh, fear, worry, anxiety, anger, bitterness, hopelessness, all things could take over. But he says, anxiety doesn't have to own me. Worry doesn't have to own me because the Lord is near. The God of peace is near me as I sit in this prison. And the best message that I can give you is the same God that was with him is the same God that wants to be with us. Paul was forced to stop. He had nowhere to go. We are not forced to stop. So what ends up happening is we live in the prison of anxiety because we won't stop. Versus if we stop, we could sit in the prison of, of, of joy and peace. The same one he sat in. Life is hard. Life is overwhelming. 
our humanness wants to react in fear and worry. And like I said, I don't think that's a sin. It shows our limitations. But our first reaction doesn't have to be the one that lasts. Our first and natural broken reaction doesn't have to be the one that we just sit in every day because Paul says there's a better way. But it's our choice. We have some choices to make. And so we finish in worship as we do on Sunday mornings. And I'm wondering if you can stop thinking about what's next for a moment. And maybe we can be the people who bring the burdens and lay them down before God and say, I'm actually worried about this. You don't have to be the tough guy, the tough girl. It's not a sign of weakness, and it's not a sign of being awesome to say, I can handle whatever. I think it's actually a lie. There is a strength when we say, I'm carrying this, but it's too big for me. God, will you take it? So maybe as we worship, that's what you can do. And you know, part of one hope, I'd say every week, we turn our seats into altars and we have altars. We pray with each other. We're here with each other. We carry these burdens together as we bring them to God. May our pride not win the day when God wants to bring a healing and a rescuing in our life for the things that we're carrying. And so, Heavenly Father, you met Paul in the prison. Heavenly Father, you met Paul when anxiety and worry and fear should have dominated him, but they didn't because he had a faith in what you could do as his God. And he's trying to pour this truth into the church in Philippi, and now we get to be the recipients of the same truth. And you know that your people are sitting in anxieties and fears and worries and the weight of the world. We're sitting in them, but we don't have to sit in these alone. God, that you bring joy with your presence. When you are near, you bring peace to our life, you've promised. But God, we actually, I think, have to bring these things to you. So this morning, may that be the story of One Hope Church. When I'm afraid, I trust in you, God. When I'm carrying worry, I give this to you, God. Because that's what our relationship looks like. And that we understand when we're not willing to bring this to you, we are missing a connection you want to have with us. So may you speak powerfully to your people as we worship, and may we give you our worries and lay them at your feet. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at ouronehope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.